Father in heaven, we're so grateful that Christ prayed for us. And we pray that his prayer will be answered, that we can be one with you and one with each other in ministry. Pray that you'll give us wisdom and um, motivation to press forward in the path of Christ's healing ministry through prayer. Pray you'll bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Praying with patience. Um, there's a lot of interest, or there's more interest now in uh, modern times about spirituality and health care. Some of you, has anyone read anything on that? There are whole books being written. There are studies done at different universities. Many patients would like their spirituality addressed as part of their health care. Religion uh, does influence the patient's ability to cope with illness, can cause isolation from the religious community, and of course, patients' beliefs influence their medical decisions. Those who don't believe in using blood products or have other beliefs uh, that are um, theirs. Spirituality or religion is associated with better health outcomes. Uh, Randolph Bird, a cardiologist, Southern Medical Journal, July 1988. Uh, prayer made a big difference for patients on the coronary care unit in terms of their outcome. They had less congestive heart failure, less diuretic medication, less antibiotics, fewer episodes of pneumonia, fewer cardiac arrests. And in 21 of 26 monitored categories, patients fared better. Uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, 1995, should patients prescribe prayer for health? This study acknowledged that large majorities of Americans say the following, prayer is an important part of their lives. Miracles are performed by the power of God. They have the belief in miracles. Sometimes they're conscious of the presence of God. They're comfortable, this, the authors of this article were comfortable classing this as at least a psychological benefit and they admitted that 57% of psychiatrists do not believe in God. So you see there's a bit of a, a challenge there, but patients, of course, feel differently. <clears throat> More recent studies out of Duke, Dartmouth, and Yale um, show that hospitalized people who never attended church have an average hospital stay three times longer than regular attendees. So it becomes a utilization issue, <laughs> you know. Um, heart patients are... 14 times the risk of death post-op if not participating in a religion. That's huge. Elderly, the elderly who never or rarely attend church have double stroke rate of regular attendees. And in Israel, religious people had a 40% lower death rate from cardiovascular disease and cancer. And uh, I don't know if you can see the small print there. Uh, Dr. Koenig um, wrote the book from which some of the previous research I quoted was, and then also this is from his recent publication, Handbook of Religion and Health. Now he's a little more cautious in actually engaging patients in prayer, and you, you know, we'll talk a little bit more later about um, some of the risks and benefits of that, you know, some of the engagement you need to have with the patient, the discussion, because this is not a manipulation. This is entering into their life in a way that they're comfortable with, and we always ask permission, we always enter in a, uh, a safe way for the patient. Um, one of the things that's really helped me in my practice is uh, Dr. David DeRose uh, came to our church a few years ago and he presented uh, some material. Um, 
and I heard him, maybe it wasn't there, it was some other place, but he was presenting uh, this study, the National Institutes of Health, 2002, they put out a study, a survey of complementary and alternative medical theories, therapies that people actually participated in. And look at this, 43% of people at that time were saying they would pray for themselves as an alternative therapy or an additional complementary therapy to allopathic medical care. 24.4% uh, would accept prayer by others, 18.9% natural products, 11.6% deep breathing, 9.6% group prayer. So there's probably some overlap between those, but you, you look at that, the highest one is what? Prayer, right? Praying for themselves. And there's other, of course, and diet-based therapies, a small percentage, um, but I think the percentage is quite a bit higher in the patients, at least that I asked this question. <clears throat> I think prayer with patients is a proxy. That is, even if they say no, in the discussion leading up to that no, you will have an idea of where they're at spiritually, and you'll know best how to engage them. Um, I had an atheist show up, and he was so upset that I even had a, a screening tool that would ask some of these questions about, you know, do you believe in prayer, what have you, that he didn't even want to talk to me about his medical problem until he said, I want to talk to you about this form. You know, I find this really upsetting. I said, well, a number of my patients appreciate prayer. They're religious people. Um, but this is a tool so I can find out where people are at. So now I know that where you're at, um, but I can treat you like anybody else. I won't do anything, you know, different. Um, I won't force you into anything religious, <laughs> you know. And so then he eventually was okay with that. Um, I find prayer as kind of a, a proxy, as I said, for seeing where the patient is at. If someone has active religious practice, it often involves prayer of some type. A willingness or desire to include prayer, you might consider it to be a rough estimate of spirituality. If somebody's really excited about it, well, they're, they're engaged in, in, uh, in their spirituality. And it helps define the, the patient's spirituality in that way. The Bible... Uh, certainly promotes prayer, James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer can make a great difference. Um, there are reports when rabies was um, raging that prayer was rabies' only cure. I had an early patient in my practice who had an unstable knee. I examined his knee, obvious anterior drawer, Lockman's. He came to me uh, a week or two later, or I was, you know, going to schedule him for surgery. He came back, said, well, I went to a prayer meeting. They prayed over me and uh, had this warm feeling come over me, and his knee was rock solid. I examined him. Um, and that, to my mind, was a healing. I said, well, the Lord's healed you. So when you're in this context, it's easy to affirm someone in that because we believe that the Lord could do that. Um, my mother-in-law had breast cancer. We prayed for her, and uh, she went with non-surgical treatment. Um, she did get off of her uh, estrogen and uh, did some kind of alternative therapies with constant soy isolate and some things that are kind of, we would consider maybe even fringe. Some, you know, it just depends. Some things are fringe that are cutting edge. You have to try and figure that out. Uh, but she was healed. Uh, the cancer shrunk and went away. There are many otherwise unexplainable cures. Christ, of course, we know from studying the scripture and looking at his healing ministry, he delights to heal and still delights to do that today. 
Psalm 107, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, men are afflicted. So we know that sin is the cause of, of the suffering. And verse 19 and 20, they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sendeth his word and healeth them and delivereth them from their destructions. I think it's always important as we pray to it, somehow at least have the word of God in our minds so that word is shared. As a father pities his children, Psalm 103, 13, and 14, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Prayer shouldn't be the last thing we do when there is nothing else to do. Um, like Asa, who became diseased in his feet, and uh, he, he decided not to seek the Lord, so it was too late. The first place to turn a difficulty is to God. Our trust should be in God, not man. Jeremiah 17, 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. <clears throat> Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So prayer must be for us to God who exists. He's not a hypothetical God. He's real and he fulfills his word. So we, we must have faith. And it must, needs to be from a person who knows that God takes personal interest in all humanity. That is, we're not just praying as a ceremonial thing for this person. We believe God really loves them. And we believe that God loves to, get, to give undeserved blessings to all who believe his word and diligently, earnestly seek him. It's our work to present the sick and suffering to Christ in the arms of our faith, we should lay hold on his promise and pray for the manifestation of his power. The very essence of the gospel is restoration. And the Savior would have us bid the sick, the hopeless, and the afflicted take hold upon his strength. And that's from Desire of Ages 8.24 and 8.25. Um, we need to be cognizant of the fact that uh, some prayers are hard for the Lord to answer. That is, there are health principles, there are laws in action, and if someone's breaking those laws, we need to be willing to make that plain to them in some tactful way. If someone's smoking, um, my prayer is not so much for the healing necessarily of their orthopedic problem, primarily it's that the Lord would relieve them of their smoking, because I think that causes complications. So there's a prioritization that happens. So e either the natural or spiritual law can be violated, and uh, most people, if you ask them if they know that smoking is bad for them, they'll say what? They'll admit to that. And uh, it's like we heard in the, the talk last night. What's needed is the motivation and the power. We'll talk more about that throughout the weekend, I'm sure. So ask questions to determine the patient's need, needs. And um, those questions, uh, as Eric was pointing out, you could just walk in and say, you have this. Can I pray for you? Right? That's a little. That can be a little awkward. Uh, it's nice to ask questions. You know, um, how's your how's your family? How are things going for you? As as Dr. Mills is pointing out, um, ask some questions about what's happening, or how are your kids, or do you have kids, or where do they live? In that conversation, the Holy Spirit could lead in the directions that it needs to go. I encourage using a survey tool. Uh, again, systematizing. What we do in our offices can be helpful. Ask permission as you would want it done. That is, follow the golden rule. If you want to see someone, 
and they wanted to offer a Buddhist prayer for you, or uh, they were a Hindu, uh, how would you like it, and how would you like them to approach you, and what would you like the dynamic to be? I mean, it needs to be polite, tactful, and a, there should be an easy way to say no if someone wants to say no. Be consistent. That is, if this is a one-off thing you're doing just to kind of check it out or you do it um, occasionally, you're not going to really develop the skills to do it repeatedly. Um, it was very helpful for me to hear Brian uh, give a seminar like this, I think it was, or a, maybe it was a progress note uh, eight or so years ago. And I just, I said, I, I, I need to do this. So I went into my office and felt this, that psychological hurdle of engaging patients on this level. But with, with it, by the end of the week, it was exciting because 85% or so of the patients um, were excited about what was happening or at least um, okay with it. Uh, be consistent, show respect, and <laughs> this is a challenge because nobody's a perfect physician, at least that I know of, and we make mistakes. But we need to do our best to have quality care because if we're giving um, any other kind of care and then we're praying, it's going to seem like we're trying to cover things up, or which we do want the Lord to have our, our back, but you know we want him to have our front too. So... So here's the survey tool I use. If you uh, want to write down your email, I'll email it to you if you want to use it. You can modify it. It's basically based on that NIH survey with the same percentages. And then I ask people, you know, I'd like to make sure I'm serving you well, understand where you're coming from. What have you used in the past? What are you using now? What are you open to trying? Some patients uh, don't want to fill it out. They'll just cross it out. But I don't write them off. I ask them some questions about their family or what's going on and then see where the conversation goes. Sometimes they just don't want the hassle of filling it out, but they're happy to be prayed with. So it's just a tool. Don't, don't systematize the tool so much that if they don't fill it out, they're off the chart, you know. So then when I do pray with the patient, I, um, in, the, in our EMR, I just ask my staff, I put on the encounter sheet either P or NP. P stands for prayer. NP stands for no prayer. What do you think P, parentheses J, and parentheses stand for? That's a Jehovah's Witness. So I'm going to pray to Jehovah in Jesus' name, and they're generally fine with that. But you need to ask them, because some of them don't want to, they're a little more put-offish relating to other religions, so it just depends on the individual. That kind of thing. Pardon? Jews? Um, most, if someone is a... Um, Practicing Jew, I don't have a lot of those. Um, the liberal Jews that I've encountered don't want prayer or anything. They're kind of agnostic type. I don't think we have a synagogue in our, our community, do we, Pastor? Um, our Pastor Jim Crabtree is here, and he'll be speaking in a few minutes as well to some of the effect of this in our community. So what do I pray for? I pray that God will provide power for desired lifestyle changes such as stopping smoking or improving diet. That God will provide for the needs of the family members. God will bless the outpatient treatment recommended or provided. That any surgery will go well with a quick recovery. And of course, this is special, somewhat specially specific. You know, it's going to be something different in your practice. So back in 2012, two years ago, I did a chart survey because I have the record of who I pray for and who I don't. And so here's the numbers. Um, a high percentage, it's about 85% or more that would like prayer or are okay with prayer. 
So I, I was surprised, as I said, at that percentage when I initially started, but I thought, well, before I present this, I should actually survey and see what the numbers actually are. So the blessings that have come to me, I, ha I have a better attitude with difficult patients because I know that at the end of this difficult encounter, I'm going to have to pray for this person, and it puts my, my mind in a completely different place than it would be if I was just wanting to kick them out of the practice. Although I have had to discharge some if they're hostile toward the staff or they're very disruptive. But it's a different attitude that I have. The hospital chaplain routinely gives uh, positive feedback regarding surgical patients' appreciation of prayer. And there's pastoral feedback of the community effect. And prayer, of course, is a bridge. If someone's interested in prayer, then often they're going to be interested in these other things I have, um, you know, some DVDs from Life and Health, some um, Gloth-style uh, tracks from Lifestyle Matters, um, Steps to Christ, whatever it is that you have that you'd be willing to share. So um, I encourage you to consider pursuing those blessings. And um, um, Pastor Jim, why don't you come up? Jim Crabtree is our pastor up in Mount Shasta. His wife, Judy Crabtree, is a nurse practitioner uh, working in uh, Reading. And um, Jim, why don't you just okay. uh, share with us? Why I'll put this on you because oh, thank you. this is picking up quite well. So just share with us what, uh, what praying with patients might do in the community, what influence, if you have any stories to share. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I meet people periodically who uh, talk about being prayed for and uh, how much they appreciate it. I want to share about Bob. Um, uh, I met Bob right after we moved to Mount Shasta. Um, it was about 18 years ago, and uh, I think if uh, I get to thinking, if you're God's favorite, He lets you be a pastor in Mount Shasta. Uh, it's, a, it's a glorious place, and uh, I was coming out of uh, John's 45 shop on South Mount Shasta Boulevard. I, I think I was having my Ruger 1022 um, trigger uh, pull uh, lightened up, and uh, so I walked out and turned to the right and walked down to my car. And there was Bob, and he's a real pleasant fellow. Uh, uh, but Bob was the police chief, and he was writing me a ticket. And uh, I walked up to Bob, and I said, what's going on? He says, well, you're parked in a, a crosswalk. And I looked out, and there were two faint lines that went across the street in nowhere. I mean, it wasn't like this was a main. I said, I can't even see this. It looks like two ghost lines coming across the street here. I said, uh, they haven't been... Uh, covered in, in a long time, and uh, he says, well, I tell you what, since you were coming out of John's 45 shot and not the quilting shop over here, I'm not going to give you a ticket. <laughs> so, so I got to know Bob. Um, he, he had a really good reputation as a police chief. He liked, uh, he cared about his men. He would let his uh, men's wives ride with him at night if it was a quiet night uh, to keep the family together because uh, being apart in the evenings is kind of rough on you. And uh, there were some other things that he did to help, uh, make, uh, help lighten the load of the officers on his department. He'd been raised a Catholic, and uh, he'd uh, left the church and uh, had a reawakening and uh, became a, a born-again Christian. And uh, he was attending the Baptist church. Uh, I got to know him because he was... He was always on my case. I, I was down riding around with uh, no helmet on uh, with a couple of boys on the bicycles, and he had to call me up on that. But he was a good, good guy about it. 
Um, I bumped into him at the wellness clinic a while back. Um, so they have a physical therapy uh, clinic and uh, a place where you can work out and get in the pool and get in the hot tub and the sauna and so forth. And I was coming in from the pool and he was getting his, his uh, gear on and uh, he, uh, he was telling me about his, uh, started telling me, I asked him what was going on. He was telling me about his uh, surgery and he says, you know, I really appreciated Dr. Guthrie having prayer with me. And uh, it hit me uh, uh, what he was really talking about there. Uh, I was a police officer for a while, and uh, police officers get uh, to where they don't trust a lot of people after a while. You see people at their worst, and you, you, uh, you, know, you find out the mayor's parked behind the grocery store with somebody else's wife, and you, after a while, you, don't, you, know, you have to stop a car at the middle of the night, and you get blown away because these people in here could have just been in a... Uh, a robbery, and they're worried about getting caught, and so you you live uh, uh, a stressful life, and so uh, I, I was thinking about Bob, and I realized that uh, Bob is a beautiful example of uh, William Blake, uh, an artist and a, a writer in England, said the three important elements of living a good life are someone safe to love, something honorable to do and something to look forward to. I thought, now that's powerful. But as a police officer, you don't have a lot of people that you love. And to have somebody in your life that cares about you, when, when Todd prayed with uh, Bob, Bob said, this is somebody safe. Because he's on a higher plane than just making a living. He's working for the master. And I can feel safe knowing that that we're not just making money here. We care about God. We care about Jesus. We care about me. And so I'm sure that um, someone's safe to love. Uh, it was asked a while back, if you were driving down a highway in, say, Chicago or maybe Detroit, and your start, car started bothering you, and you had to pull off maybe down a hill, and it's kind of a dark place, and you called for AAA, and you, and you kind of got out of your car and was waiting for for the AAA to get there, and you look down the street, and here comes some lights, and you think maybe it's him, and it's a carload of inner city guys, would you rather they be a new gang, uh, uh, a gang of bloods and, or crips looking for the other side, or a new gang member initiation night, would you care if they just come from uh, a Muslim meeting, or would you care if they just came from a Bible study? Which group would you want to meet you on that dark alley? And that there's somebody safe to love. And I know that Bob thinks Todd is a safe person in my life. Something honorable to do. Um, I think Bob says this physician is, values God and values honor. And it's not just about making a living. He is living on a higher plane than just surviving. And so that's something honorable to do. And something to look forward to. I don't think surgery is ever something you want to look forward to, but I'm sure that you would look forward to it more if you knew that Jesus was in the surgery suite with uh, Todd. That Todd wasn't in there by himself. That he had uh, Jesus uh, beside him. And that God cared for Todd, and God cares for Bob, and God's going to listen to Todd's prayers as well as Bob's prayers. 
And so I meet people around town who uh, have these stories, and it's really a blessing because I think someday in the not-too-distant future, people are going to have to make a decision as to whose side they're on. And these little experiences of this person prayed for me, this person, I think they're going to, to remember that, and they're going to say when they have questions, I think I'll go see if Todd has an answer for me. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to go over just a few outline things. I took a couple slides out that I think Todd and I were both going to cover. Um, I'm a physician back in um, Dayton, Ohio at Kettering Medical Center. I had practiced internal medicine for about five or six years, went back to my cardiology training. And after coming out of my cardiology training back into the cath lab, I can remember... Um, just kind of wondering, how could I introduce my patients to spirituality? In the cath lab, I was working with a group of very hip, <laughs> what seemed like uh, young people that didn't seem like they'd have the slightest interest in religion. Um, it seemed like they were more into working hard during the day and going out partying, and I was actually embarrassed as to, boy, what if they see me praying with somebody? How do I do that? I didn't feel like I was comfortable with it. And um, I didn't learn how to do it, unfortunately, even as a medical student at Loma Linda. I had one uh, mentor <laughs> that I did a rotation with when I was a medical student down at Wildwood. And Dr. Dave DeRose was down there. And the whole month I spent at Wildwood, we had one patient come into the emergency room that month. It's an old, old guy, a little bit hunched over. I think he had got a cut on his ear and had a laceration. He was really hard of hearing. He could barely hear. I had met him. I introduced myself to him. I talked to him. And then I talked to Dr. DeRose. He said, oh, yeah, go ahead and sew it up. And so I sewed it up. And he goes, OK, well, aren't you going to do the, the most important part of this encounter? And I'm like, oh, uh, what's that? He says, oh, I pray with him. Well, by this time, I was embarrassed. I wasn't comfortable with it. I had forgotten the guy's name. And he couldn't hear me. So. <laughs> I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, dear Lord, bless this gentleman that this will heal up quickly. And it just wasn't very, very smooth at all. Um, my first year back from cardiology, back to Kettering, I was in a room taking care of a lady in her 70s who had just come up from Hilton Head. She'd had a stent placed in Hilton Head for um, <clears throat> some tight disease. And the physicians there said, you know, we're not too sure about this. She's probably going to need to have heart surgery. They called me and said, we think you better take another look at it. But this was in the middle of a heart attack. They just kind of dropped a stent in there and hoped that it was, was fairly stable. So we brought her into the cath lab. I put the catheter just barely engaging the left main coronary artery. Her blood pressure just plummeted. And that just tells us there's a very, very tight lesion. Her blood pressure all of a sudden was like in the 40s. And she was getting sweaty. And we realized we're not going to fix this with a stent. They'd already tried. She needs to go to the operating room. And the operating room team came in. Now we've got like 40 people in the room all swirling all around. And the anesthesiologist, who's a friend of mine, came in. And I didn't even know he did this. But 
right in the middle of everybody rushing. We probably have 10 or 15 minutes that we really want to get this lady back to the operating room as fast as possible for her heart because she's just really crashed from just putting the catheter in there. And the anesthesiologist says, everybody, can I just have your attention for a second? I'm going to say a prayer and just if you could be quiet. And he prayed with her. And all these young, cool party people that I worked with looked at each other and go, wow, did you see that? That was neat. And it just hit me like, ugh, I should have been the one doing that. I didn't know how to do that. And right that coming year was, the, was a meeting with the, kind of the organization of Amen. And Mark Finley gave some tips on how to open the door to a spiritual conversation. And I'm going to share some of that along with some of my experiences in doing that here for about uh, 15 more minutes. And then we'll take some questions, uh, Todd and I, at the end here. So... All through, all through the Bible, um, healing is equated also with, with a spiritual work. But in Psalms 107, 20, he sent his word and healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. In the ministry of healing, page 113, when Christ healed disease, he warned many of the afflicted ones, sin no more, lest a, a worse thing come unto thee. Um, John 5.14, thus he taught that they had brought disease upon themselves by transgressing the laws of God, and that health could be preserved only by obedience. Todd talked about the idea that when somebody comes in smoking, he focuses on the smoking. That's the problem. Um, it's, I think it's uh, just having a spiritual conversation with a patient, and the very best way to open that door to a spiritual conversation is to have a prayer. Um, through that, you have the opportunity to actually point out what the real cause might be. Um, Lord, we recognize that so-and-so is struggling with smoking and realize the effect that this has already had, and so we just pray that you'd really bless them, that, they'd be, um, that you'd give them the strength to overcome this, this habit, um, that you'd give them the power to make that change in their life. And so they, they know, they already know that they need to quit, but they know that that's the, the emphasis that you're focusing on. The Ministry of Healing, um, page 118, the sick and suffering will have much more confidence in the physician who they are confident loves and fears God. The pastor just mentioned this about a police officer, much more confidence in a, in a physician who they are confident loves and fears God. They rely upon his words. They feel a sense of safety in the presence and administration of that physician. I've found that to be very, very true. And uh, you've heard from the prior presentation that that's true as well. So only he who reads the heart can know with what trembling and terror many patients consent to an operation under the surgeon's hand. They realize their peril. While they may have confidence in the physician's skill, they know that it is not infallible. But as they see the physician bowed in prayer, asking help from God, they are inspired with confidence Gratitude and trust open the heart to the healing power of God. The energies of the whole being are vitalized, and the life forces triumph. This is Dr. Ranzinger and myself taking out a spleen over in Africa that was literally about that, that big. You didn't know a cardiologist did that, did you? <laughs> All right. So just a few pointers. Why did Jesus heal diseases? Why didn't he just focus on the spiritual aspects? I think there's some interest in looking at this. In some villages, he healed everybody in the whole village. It says he healed them all. Um, in fact, there are more stories in the Bible about Jesus healing than there are of him teaching. 
So particularly in his day, but I believe it's really not that much different in our day, but back in their day, they truly had the belief that um, God was demonstrating his displeasure on you by giving you disease. If you had leprosy, it was as if you had been cursed by God. You were an outcast of society. Um, you never could be integrated again. And people with diseases were looked down on by the spiritual class. So in many respects, by healing, he was already showing people what God was truly like. But he wasn't like what the Pharisees and what the religious establishment of the day had to say. He was already dispelling that. He was already preaching the gospel through healing um, to demonstrate that God hadn't rejected them. And then just absolutely from his heart of compassion, he just couldn't look at them and not relieve their suffering. And so we're called to enter into the same experience. The Ministry of Healing, page 113. Um, a couple of different lines from this page, but sickness, suffering, and death are work of an antagonistic power. Satan is the destroyer. God is the restorer. Almost not a single day goes by where I don't have a patient or a patient's family say, why is God doing this to me? And that's an opportunity to explain to them, God's not doing this to you. In fact, it's God's desire, God's work, God using me to help, in that, that we're going to do everything we can to relieve the suffering uh, because that is not, um, God does not bring disease upon somebody to teach them a lesson. He may use the tribulations that we face and turn it for good, but he's not the one that's bringing disease on people. And so right then and there, we have an opportunity to explain a little bit about the character of God. The words spoken to Israel are true today to those who recover health of body or health of soul. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'm just a physician. I don't heal anybody. I tell my patients this over and over. I don't heal anybody. Only God does that. I want to be his hands, his tools. Um, he uses me, but it's ultimately God. And in doing that, that helps keep me humble as well. I, I'm not almighty God the physician that too many physicians were a generation ago. Um, the desire of God for every human being is expressed in the words, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mightst prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. The way, this is selected, second selected message is page 54. The way in which Christ worked was to preach the word and to relieve suffering by miraculous works of healing. But I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way. For Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing, claiming to be divine, will be wrought. We see this all around us. Miraculous healings, you just touch the television and you can be healed. Send in some money and touch the television and we'll pray for, for healing for you. Um, in these very last days, it seems that the, the message that God has given us is that through the simple methods of restoring man to the principles um, of fresh air and sunlight and good water and plant-based diet, that these are ways that can remedy much disease. And then through the methods that we use, whether it's surgery or other things, we, we have to work with God in that way. We will not likely see huge miraculous healings just like we saw in Jesus' day because of Satan corrupting that. 
Well, you might wonder, what happens if I pray for somebody and my prayer's not answered? Um, so five points when the heavens are silent. We talked about this this morning if you were there. Jesus knows what it's like to feel like his prayer is not answered. He knows what it's like to feel that the heavens are forsaken and that even God himself has turned his back on you. That's just a feeling. It's not the reality, and we need to point our patience that, to the fact that this is not a reality. So some principles out of Matthew, but first of all, be persistent. Keep praying. So just as the widow who went to the unrighteous judge was persistent, we are, we are encouraged to keep praying. Um, sometimes we pray selfishly. We may not even realize it. But if we can truly pray unselfishly, not my will, but thine be done, uh, that's a prayer that we can expect to be to heard. Realize that even if the heavens feel like brass over your head, God is still listening. And go to God's word. Every single promise in this world, word, God has promised to fulfill. Now, sometimes prayers are not answered on the time frame that we think they should be. We live in a world of sin and suffering, and God does not, we don't escape that. We have to suffer right along with the righteous and the unrighteous are in this world suffering because of the effects of Satan. We're actually called to enter into Christ's suffering by taking care of, as a healthcare worker, having the opportunity to take care of somebody who's suffering. We grow. We get to experience the ministry of Christ. Suffering is in the world um, to help us grow through it. God doesn't deliver us from it. Um, but I do believe that every sincere, honest prayer for healing, God answers. May not be in this life, but he has promised to make all things new. And I share that thought with my patients. So this is Mark Cantini Finley in a tour in Rome that I was with. And Pastor Finley, I, I think has given, encouraged me to go back to my practice more than any other person and go back to my practice and start this adventure of praying with patience. I was uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, I thought I'd be embarrassing my patients. I thought I didn't want to presume on them and to do that. And so he gave some simple principles. So don't presume that they're spiritual, but nobody, generally, nobody... Um, is going to be upset if you ask their permission. Maybe once in a while somebody's going to be upset if the questioner asks it. I've had only one patient in 10 years now leave my practice because I offered to pray with them. And um, I've had maybe 15 to 20 patients in the last 10 years say, no, I'd rather not. And most of them are Jehovah's Witnesses. And actually recently... I have, uh, with my Jehovah's Witnesses, I, I offer to pray with Jehovah, but recently I found out, you know what, they're, I just say, would you like to have a prayer? And if I offer to let them pray, they're perfectly okay with it. So I pray with them. They, let, they pray, or usually they're accompanied by somebody, and the elder that's accompanied them will pray with them. Um, sometimes if they say, oh, I do my own prayers, I know immediately that they're Jehovah's Witness. And so I don't force it, but I have several Jehovah's Witnesses now that let me pray with them after, after being respectful of their wishes. Um, so don't presume. Ask permission. Be open to questions. 
it has happened over and over and over. The number one thing that happens when I offer to pray with somebody is they get tears in their eyes and they say, um, no one's ever done that before. Um, and then I have an opportunity to experience corporate repentance because I tell them, you know what, as a physician, then I'd ask you to forgive me on behalf of my profession that we haven't done this before. That because the only true source of healing is one that combines spiritual with the source of the healer. And so I ask them to forgive me on behalf of my colleagues. It's very powerful if, well, let me also say, and I was going to answer this and open to questions. Often, suddenly, something will come up. Um, I am amazed that in my office, I have the opportunity to reach people that I would never reach. I have several CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. I wouldn't. If I got a membership at the country club for $40,000 a year, maybe I could rub shoulders with these guys, but that's not worth it. Um, but um, they come to my office. Um, people that live on the other side of the tracks come to my office. People that are in every walk of life, police officers, um, the mayor. I have two different mayors of two different cities. I have three police chiefs. I have one chief of a fire department. Now, this took about a year. I prayed with this guy three different occasions. Chief of the fire department. He's a big, he works out, hefty guy, but he had a bicuspid aortic valve and he needed heart valve surgery. Um, I prayed with him for a couple times before we got him set up for the surgery. I prayed with him when we did the heart cath, and then I met him before he went back for surgery with the cardiothoracic surgeon. I prayed with him, and five minutes later, he says, oh, doctor, can you just pray with me one more time? He was so scared. This is a big, tough guy. Um, a year went by. A year went by. And then he comes in only once a year. He gets an echo every couple of years. Once a year, he comes in just to listen to this valve and make sure that the bioprosthetic valve that we replaced his valve with is working. And um, he was my second to last patient. And he's like, by the way, Doc, can, after I prayed, he said, can I ask you a, a question? I said, sure. Um, yeah, what is it? He goes, well, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, this isn't a five-minute question. We were in there for 45 minutes. My nurse finally knocked on the door and said, oh, you got another patient waiting. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Doc, I'm sorry. Next year, Doc, you know, you've studied a lot of science, and what do you think of evolution versus creation? Well, there's another 45-minute discussion. But it took a year or two later after I started praying with him before, before he finally realized, hey, I have some questions. I don't go to church. I don't think he does. Um, but hey, my doctor's a spiritual guy. I'll ask him. And <laughs> I'm not putting at the end of the day, because every time he's come in since, he has questions. So share scripture. There's power in reciting scripture. If you claim a promise in God's word, um, it's virtually guaranteed that God is going to fulfill that promise. Whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If you quote scripture to patients, it has a power. Um, I think just two more slides. So why pray? Well, it imparts hope in divine healing. It points to the only source of healing. Um, it keeps physicians humble. So this point reminds me of another patient. I have a gentleman who is a, is a Jewish rabbi. He's not my patient. He's my partner's patient. 
His wife is a PhD uh, nursing director at a different hospital, and he's a very educated guy. He teaches at a, at a Jewish seminary. Um, he's actually also studied a lot of science and uh, quite intellectual guy. Um, he went into two-to-one heart block and was, had a heart rate in the 30s. He had no energy. He just couldn't function. He's in his 70s. He's legally blind. And um, he told my partner, after a long, detailed explanation, that, no, I don't want a pacemaker. I'll just go home. I'm not that active. I don't want a pacemaker. I just soon die than go through a procedure. Well, my partner said, well, hey, let me just have Dr. Schwartz come in and talk to you about it. And so I came in and explained it to him. I went through the details that this is simple. I can do it in 45 minutes. It doesn't require anesthesia. You'll heal up quickly. You can probably, I can let, I could do it and let you go home today. No, you know, I just don't want to have any more, any procedures. I said, okay, that's fine. But by the way, and this is what I say to all my patients. By the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer with them. He's a Jewish rabbi. I know that he is. He grabbed my hand and he said, absolutely. And so I prayed with him. And he got tears in his eyes, and then actually he said a prayer for me um, that I didn't completely understand. Um, and after I got done, I was getting ready to leave the room. He goes, oh, no, no, doc, just a moment. I'll go ahead and have that pacemaker. Um, we actually now go out to eat with he and his wife once a year, and along with my physician assistant. And it's purely about a spiritual discussion about what Seventh-day Adventists believe versus what he believes. Now, I think he's working on us, and we're working on him. <laughs> but we were at Panera, and I went up to order, and he told my wife, he said, you know why I went ahead and, or, you, know, you know what I said after your husband came in and prayed with me? He said, he prayed, a, he prayed a Christian prayer. I prayed in Jesus' name. That's the way I pray. He said, that was okay. I just said to myself, praise God, I found a doctor who doesn't think he's God. <laughs> and... By praying, you allow people to see that you're humble. And um, it was, he's become a very good friend since. He'd probably let me do anything to him at this point. Um, it goes beyond what people expect of you. You know, they expect good service. They expect an appropriate diagnosis. You're paying them for that, or they're paying you for that. Um, that's expected. When you stop and say, by the way, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer with them, that goes way beyond what they expect. Whether you're good at expressing it in any other way, they get the message that you care about them. And that's why more than half the time, the first time I do that, they get tears in their eyes. I think Phil mentioned this morning that he had a patient come in that really didn't have a problem. I saw a lady who was a pastor in her church, an African-American church, and um, I saw her, I prayed with her, she just got tears in her eyes and just held my hand so I can't believe it. I've never had a doctor pray with me before. A month later, she came back and said, Doctor, I got up in church and I testified. And all of a sudden, I saw like four more people from her church that came. About six months later, I saw her last name on the chart, and I didn't really pay attention to the first name. And so I came walking in, and there's this um, 19 or 20-year-old young girl, looks perfectly healthy, sitting on the exam table, and she's over in the corner. And I go, oh, yeah, how are you doing? Who'd you bring with you? And she says, oh, no, no, actually, this is my daughter, and she's the one that's here. She, she, she's the one. So I said, oh, okay. So I start to take a history. Okay, so obviously at that age, it's probably palpitations, but any history of heart problems? No. 
diabetes, hypertension, you know, cholesterol problems? No. Do you exercise? Yeah. Okay, so you're feeling your heart racing or skipping beats? No. I'm thinking, why is she here? And finally I turned to the mom and said, okay, so what's the problem? She says, oh, she doesn't have a problem. I just wanted her to have a doctor who prayed for her. And I don't know how to build that out, but uh, <laughs> there was no diagnosis. No diagnosis, but she wanted to have a doctor who prayed with her. So she brought her daughter in to do that. There's something about praying with patients that can open the door to starting a spiritual conversation. I am in the Bible Belt. I think it's 98 or more percent of my patients um, appreciate it. So Todd's over in Mount Shasta, a little bit more secular probably. <clears throat> but um, can, we can reach people that the church will never reach. I talked about the Fortune 500. I've got two Fortune 500 CEOs that fly around in their corporate jets who now welcome prayer with them. Um, one of them the other day, he'd lost his wife um, from cancer, and he needed a heart cath, and um, I did the heart cath. The next day, I went to the dentist to have my teeth cleaned. And um, I don't remember exactly how this came up. She says, oh, yeah, you're a heart doctor. You're the doctor that prays with patients, right? And this is the lady that's doing my teeth cleaning. And I said, yeah. She says, oh, yeah, so-and-so's uh, friend was in here yesterday. He was having a heart cath. And she said, oh, yeah, you prayed with him. And they were so blessed by that. So they go out and they start telling other people that Dr. Schwartz is the doctor that went and prayed. And um, all over the dental office, they were talking about that. So last slide. So some people wonder, what about the ethics of it? Is it okay to impose your beliefs on your patient? Well, I'm not imposing anything. I'm only offering to share what I know. Um, if we get to the point where the government or insurers don't allow that, that would be a terrible thing. But at this point, I don't see that as being a problem, and it hasn't been a problem. What about different religions? Well, I've already talked about praying um, with a rabbi. I prayed with Muslims. They appreciate the fact that I treat them the way I would treat anybody else. One guy, a PhD from Wright State University, been in this country for 35 years. He helped found the medical school over there. When I offered to pray with him, he's um, from Syria. He's Muslim. He took my hand. He would not let go for five minutes. He began to tell me, Dr. Schwartz, you are the first person who has ever respected me as a Muslim to share your religion with me. All I did was had a prayer for him. Um, when I first started doing this, I would pick out the ones that looked like him and the ones that are dressed up, and you look like you might go to church, I'd pray with those people. <laughs> they didn't appreciate it as much as the ones, I won't pick the guys out in here that, <laughs> but it was the guys that were dressed like a motorcycle gang that would get tears in their eyes and just say, nobody has ever treated me that way. And pretty soon I realized I couldn't just pick them out, I had to pray with everybody. And so just like Todd, I have a P or an NP. The other day, um, Epic was down. <laughs> they couldn't find the chart. Um, I went into the room of this guy that I remember doesn't want me to pray. But at the very end, I was just in the habit. And so I, I have an MP all over his chart. <clears throat> but I forgot about it in the very end. I said, oh, yeah, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. He goes, all right. He wasn't real happy about it, but this time he said, all right. So I prayed with him. A couple of weeks later, we were in the cath lab, and I remembered that he didn't really like prayer. And he goes, okay, you're going to say a prayer? 
And his wife was over in the corner and she got tears in her eyes. Um, when he went back to the cath lab, she said, Dr. Schwartz, can I talk to you just for a minute? And she came out and said, I just want you to know that he has been so against religion for the last 25 years. Just thank you for, for persisting. I didn't persist, I forgot. The records, <laughs> the records got lost. <laughs> um, we talked about God's will. I believe it's God's will that everybody should experience healing. We just don't know God's timing. And I believe we can know God's will. It's never God's will that somebody suffer, that somebody have cancer. Um, often it's things that we do to ourselves, but also it's because we live in a sinful world. And so we are truly doing the work of God in, in trying to restore um, the image of God in man, to restore a picture of God's true character, and that's what by beginning to pray. Um, I think, uh-oh, <laughs> it's going to stay the last 10 minutes. But um, so very, very simply, don't presume, just ask. I just always say, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? If they said no, I'd rather not, I'd try as quick as possible to change the subject and say, okay, that's fine. By the way, um, we'll get a lipid panel the next time we see you, and we'll see you back in six months and have a good day. But all right, any last-minute questions, last-minute comment, Todd? I just brought to my mind, I had a patient once who said no, they didn't want prayer. The next time they came back, they said, uh, um, go ahead, you can pray for me this time. My wife really got on me about because <laughs> they went home and told their wife, you know, what had happened, and the wife, I guess, talked them back into the other camp. So that was fascinating. If, if the system is down or the, the, my staff hasn't put in the chart what I need, I, I, it's a little more awkward, but what I'll often do is say, you know, I apologize. Normally this is recorded but it hasn't been recorded, were you, were you one I prayed with or no? And they can just say yes or no, and it's usually not, not bad. So mm -hmm. um, we've reached the end of our time. We can field some questions. Uh, it's probably best if we just do that off the mic because it's hard to pick that all up. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll close the meeting here. Um, Ryan, why don't, you, why don't you pray for us? All right, let's just bow our heads with prayer. Well, Father in heaven, again, I just thank you for this organization. Amen which is celebrating its 10th year for the purpose of restoring the gospel and the health message for teaching us how to minister to our patients. And so I just pray that you will take away our fear, our embarrassment, that you will use us to be an avenue by which we can restore your character and an interest in your love in our patients' lives as we go from here. Bless each one. Bless every practice, dentists, physicians, nurses, every healthcare worker here and their families, pastors as well, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.